I love, I love Easter. And part of the, the funny thing about Easter, it, the odd thing is that, uh, you know, it's not like you don't know what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're going to talk about the very thing that is at the heart and at the center of what we believe as Christ followers. Now, if you're here and if you've got both feet on the brake when it comes to faith, when it comes to church, when it comes to God, listen, you are in the right place today. Because I can't think of a better Sunday for you to be here than on Easter Sunday because you're guaranteed to hear the very thing that's at the core, core, core of our faith. And so today, I'm just going to take just the brief amount of time that I have to talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you, what I'm asking you to do is just to consider, consider Jesus and consider the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider me. I'm, uh, I'm not asking you to consider our church. I'm not asking you to consider uh, some denomination. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm asking you to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ in spite of the fact that maybe you have known some Christians in the past that haven't lived up to their faith that haven't followed their faith well. Um, I'm asking you to consider the resurrection in spite of the fact that maybe you perhaps worked for a Christian at some point in your life and maybe, and maybe it wasn't a good experience that you had. Um, I'm asking you to consider the resurrection of Jesus in spite of the fact that maybe you were a server at a restaurant and you hated working on Sunday afternoons because everybody leaving church would come to your restaurant and they were bad tippers and that frustrated you. Um, I'm asking you to consider the resurrection in spite of the fact that maybe um, you, know, you had a professor in college that said you can't believe any of that stuff at all. That's just ridiculous. I'm asking you to consider the resurrection in spite of the fact that perhaps um, you've encountered tragedy in your life, hurt, pain. And you've got big questions about why, where, did God, where is God and all that and why didn't he show up. Listen, all, the, all those, I hope, I hope, you know, I don't know where you land in all that. But listen, what I'm asking you to do in just these minutes is I want you to just to consider. I'm not asking you to consider just, just take a pause and just consider. Let's consider Jesus and the resurrection. Now, all of us come with some sort of assumptions about who Jesus is, okay? I don't know what your assumptions about Jesus are. There's a lot of diversity in this room. So we come from all sorts of places, believe all sorts of things. But all of us come with some sort of assumptions about who Jesus is. Um, for, for pretty much all of us, it starts when we're young. It starts in the families that we grew up in. So I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but you were probably given some assumptions about, you know, who Jesus is and who he isn't and what he can do and what he can't do. Um, you know, maybe perhaps you grew up in a home where you were a afraid of God or afraid of Jesus. Maybe you had parents that taught you to pray uh, this prayer before you went to bed. You, you guys remember this one? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I... Can we just stop and say that's a messed up prayer? That is freaky, isn't it? That is like a freaky, freaky prayer. I mean, like no wonder you were scared out of your mind. Listen to this as a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Yikes, right? I'll tell you how, how messed up that prayer is, is I didn't learn that prayer from my parents. I learned it from a Metallica song. That's where I learned that prayer. So maybe you grew up in that context and, you know, you were, you were afraid. Or maybe you grew up, maybe your assumption is, is that, that this whole Christianity thing is about just following some rules. And that God gave us a Bible and then we just have to follow the rules. And if you do those things, then he'll love us. Or, uh, or maybe, you know, maybe you come from the assumption that all the stuff about miracles and, you know, people rising from the dead. I mean, no modern person could believe any of those things. I mean, I don't know what your assumptions are, but, but we all have them. And could we just sort of acknowledge that we have them? And let's, let's let Jesus tell us who he is 
first and foremost. Another great example of this is there's a lot of different like, pictures out there circulating about just what, like, like what Jesus looks like. So I don't know if you uh, remember, a couple years ago there was this video that went viral of this guy who went to his grandma's house and, ha- and, uh, and framed a picture of Jesus and put it on her wall. And she came in and she was like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. But it wasn't actually a picture of Jesus. It was, it was uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't know if you remember this video. It totally went viral because she was like, oh my gosh, that's the best best picture of Jesus ever. And he's like, Grandma, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And she's like, oh no, it's not. It's Jesus. He's beautiful, isn't he? Um, this, This picture was on the wall of my house growing up. So this is the picture. This is the picture of Jesus that I remember sort of looking into. This is maybe you, you recognize this picture. What I love about this picture is, um, I mean, Jesus is, is like a really good looking dude. He looks like he belongs on The Bachelor, you know? I mean, he's just looking really good. Um, this, next, this next picture is the most produced picture of Jesus in history. This is this is Warner Salmon's Head of Christ. It was painted, uh, I believe, in the 60s. And it's been reproduced um, between pictures and books and lampshades and, you know, coasters and everything else. It's been printed um, uh, more globally, you know, more, more profusely than any, other, than any other picture of Jesus. And so when a lot of people on planet Earth think of Jesus, they, they think of this picture. Now, what do you notice about these last few pictures that I showed you? There's some, some things that you'll notice about that version of Jesus. You'll notice he's very, uh, he's very handsome. You notice, he's, you notice he's white. Yes, I was going there, so thank you. Um, he is. He's very European. You know, very, very, you know, he looks like he could lift a tank. You know, he just looks like super muscular. And, um, so the funny thing is, is, is they've, they've done, you know, archaeologists and, you know, the, uh, researchers, they've done t- tons of really interesting work um, of, of they've unearthed tons of different bones and skeletons remains from Jesus' day. So um, a group of people got together, forensic scientists and people, and put together the best, the best knowledge that they knew of, of bone structure. And, you know, and then they had some sketch artists, you know, just kind of sketch out probably what a really a more realistic picture of Jesus would look like and this is what they came up with Jesus was probably five foot two five foot three was the average height of of you know somebody uh, in in Jesus's day and uh, this is probably more of what Jesus looked like now listen I'm not telling you that this is what this is a picture of Jesus okay I'm not telling you that but I think we could all agree though that this picture of Jesus probably looks is more realistic than some of the other pictures of Jesus that we have. We, I think we could all agree that this is probably a little bit more what Jesus looks like. And, and I show you this just to say, what is it in us? There's something funny in us, and it's in me, and maybe I'm just speaking for me, but there's something funny in me where I, I prefer to sort of picture a better looking Jesus. That I'm, I'm, there's something like uncomfortable in me of like, of looking at Jesus and like I kind of, I, I prefer a more sanitized Jesus, a Jesus that more looks like me. A, you know, it, uh, it's, it's, it's just strange how when you look at a picture like this, you just, all your assumptions just sort of like kind of explode a little bit. And you're like, wow, I mean, it isn't exactly what I thought. And so we can take that picture down because it's kind of strange staring into his eyes. But my point is, I don't know what your assumptions are today coming into Easter Sunday, but could we, could perhaps, maybe could you acknowledge that you've got some assumptions about God that are false, that are not true, or they're slightly off? And what, if we just brought ourselves just clean slate to just 
to the story. What, what could we learn from it? So here's what I want to do. I want to I read you this passage of scripture from the book of John. And I just have three motives, okay? Three motives, three like big things that I hope happen this morning. One is I hope that if you're already a Christian and you're confident that Jesus is who he says he is and he died and rose again, then, uh, then I hope that you leave today with more confidence that Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he did. Um, maybe you're here and you're sort of on the edge and you're not quite sure, then my next goal is that I hope that you let the resurrection challenge your assumptions. Just let it challenge your assumptions, whatever those are. And then number three, maybe, some of, maybe there might be somebody here that would consider surrendering your life to Jesus because you see the truth of the resurrection. Those are my goals. I hope, one of, I hope those, three, those three things happen no matter where you're at. I'm going to read you from the book of John. and This is an eyewitness account. Uh, of this morning when nobody expected Jesus to be alive. Everyone expected him to be dead. Even though, even though he said, I'm, I'm coming back, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in the grave long, they just didn't get it. They didn't understand because what they knew is what you know too, is that dead people generally stay dead. All right? They believed that and you believed that too. And, they, and so they were so surprised at what happened. They didn't have categories for it. It certainly didn't fit their expectations. And so I'm going to read it to you. Now, John is going to, the funny thing about John, just got to mention it because it, he, he does something funny in here, is he sort of like speaks about himself in the story without using his name. So he talks to him as himself, as, as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. It's kind of funny. And you'll see what he has to say here in a second. Uh, and it just makes us sort of appreciate John and remember that he was a human being like us. Here's, what, here's how it goes. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Early... On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And he said, uh, and, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Okay, John, we get it. You're, you're a faster sprinter than Peter, all right? Um, it's just hilarious that he puts these details in here, you know, to make sure that everybody knows he got to the tomb first. And then verse 5, he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, thanks for the reminder, John, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, now this is Jesus talking. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. 
Three things about this passage I just want us to see this morning. The fact of Easter, the weight of Easter, and the gift of Easter. The fact, the weight, and the gift of Easter. So first, the fact of Easter. Um, Notice how John starts out the story here. Um, Notice that it doesn't start out with once upon a time. Notice that it doesn't start out with with in a galaxy far, far away. Um, Notice how he starts it out. He says, he said, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed. Um, Everything about these accounts, these eyewitness accounts, point to the fact that these are real people who saw real things and that we're not supposed to take them as sort of like these sort of fanciful, you know, just sort of like, you know, things that they came up with years and years and years later. Um, um, What we're supposed to take away from this story is that it's not just a nice story, but that it actually happened, that there's a historicity to it, that there's, that there's, there's weight to it. That's what we're supposed to take away. There's all sorts of theories about, you know, if, if Jesus, that people have tried to come up with about he certainly couldn't have rose from the dead. No way. So there's all sorts of theories. So, for instance, the Koran says that Jesus didn't actually die, but that he sort of swooned. He faked his death. It was the best Oscar performance in history. Um, and that he wasn't actually dead. And so that's how he was able to be walking around. And obviously everybody looks at that and says, no way. And then there's other wacky theories, like Jesus had a twin, kind of like in the movie Prestige, right? So like there was a twin that died, but not, you know, it's like, what? That's so strange. And then even other ones about the body must have been stolen. And so, and you can get into the history there about like, could the body have been stolen? And oh my gosh. And listen, there's so many different other things that people have said that, man, the, the, the disciples were hallucinating. They were listening to the Beatles and taking mushrooms, you know, and like they were... They certainly did not see Jesus walking around. But, but we can't, I, I wish I could get into all those details and, and, uh, because here's what you just got to know and what you got to trust me with. But don't just trust me as you leave this place this morning and um, do your own investigation on the evidence that we have, the evidence that we have of Jesus actually walking around from the dead and there are alive from the dead and there is so much evidence. In fact, historians, Christians and non-Christian historians look back at this event in history and say, we're not quite sure what happened, but something happened. Something happened that was so unique, so huge that it caused the world to turn upside down. I mean, what could have happened? In that day, for people to go from hiding in a, in a room, in an upper room, being scared for their life. Because remember, when Jesus died, his disciples were, they were, they were ruined. They were done. Because Jesus went too far. Jesus didn't just say, oh, I'm here to bring some good teaching. No, Jesus brought good teaching of the kingdom. And then he said, yes, and I'm the king. I'm God in the flesh. And so the disciples are like, oh, it's God. And then when they see their God dying, dying on the cross, they thought, it's over. It must have been a sham. It must, we were disillusioned. We were, and they, they went away. And they, were, they went back to fishing. They were scared in the upper room. But something happened where literally overnight, the city of Jerusalem was turned upside down. And within just a few short years, the Roman Empire is reeling. The strongest empire the world has ever seen is reeling back because these Christians are expanding and growing and it's spreading like crazy. And guys, we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. I promise you, if there had just been a Jesus who had said some nice things and he died on a Roman cross... 
that's actually not that unique. Lots of other people have died on Roman crosses. And Jesus had beautiful things to say and preach. But the other people have said some, you know, some, some beautiful, selfish things. We would not be talking about Jesus if there had been just a Friday and just a Saturday. But guys, we're talking about it still. And the world got turned upside down because something happened. And the only thing that could have happened that could have turned their hearts from stone to being ablaze with passion is that they saw Jesus alive, walking around. It changed everything, everything. And the evidence, the evidence is huge. Look into it yourself. That's the fact of Easter, but then there's the weight of Easter. Um, it would be easy, it would kind of be nice to be able to look at the Easter story and say, wow, isn't this, you know, we're not really supposed to believe he rose from the dead. Isn't this just supposed to be like a, like a happy story that gives you some encouragement, you know, like, like Jesus rose from the dead, you know, April showers bring May flowers, you know, sort of a thing. Like, you know, it's just supposed to help us get through Wednesday and it's sort of nice to believe that Jesus rose from the dead because then we can have hope. And isn't it just nicer and easier if we can just believe that it's sort of a nice a nice heartwarming story. And the answer is no. No, no, no. The weight, it's, the Easter is so heavy that we can't just say it's a nice story. In fact, the gospel writers themselves tell us, no, 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 don't you dare turn this into just an inspiring story. Don't you dare. In fact, Paul, in, the book of, in, the, in, this, in his first letter to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, here's what he says. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and if Christ, he's, he's making an argument for the resurrection of Jesus. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Paul, my faith is not useless. Like, no, how can you say that? Paul later, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul is saying, no, 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 you can't just turn it into a story. No, it, it's, it's so, it, it happened. It happened, it happened. Paul, how can you say that our faith is useless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? It's because Paul knows this about your life and my life, and you know this about your life too. Paul knows that we don't need just another inspiring story. That if all the resurrection is, is just an inspiring story, guys, that's not enough to change you. That's not enough to change anything. It's certainly not enough to change our world. It's not enough. If, the, if it's just an inspiring story, then all the gospel is, is good advice. It's not good news. It's just some good advice. And guys, listen, you've got plenty of good advice. You don't need more good advice. You need good news. You need news. I need good news. The world needs good news that something has happened. Something has happened that has done something about the death and the, the fragility that we experience in our lives. It isn't just good advice. It's got to be good news. See, because Paul knows this and you know this, but listen, you don't need more inspiration. You need intervention. You know why? Because some of your marriages are hanging by a thread. Some of your marriages are on death's doorstep this morning. And you don't need more advice. You've got plenty of advice. You know, you've got advice coming out of everywhere. There's all sorts of books. You've got advice. You don't need more advice. You know what you need? You need a miracle. You need a resurrection this morning. You need something that you didn't have to become something you have, a, a gift that breaks you out of where you're at. Listen, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression today, you just feel the weight of it today, then listen, you know this. You don't need another Taylor Swift song, right? You don't need another one. You know how to shake it off. You got all that down. 
You figured it out. You don't need more inspiration. You need intervention. You need something to break into your life this morning in a new way. Thank God that it isn't just a Friday, Saturday story. Thank God we have a Sunday as a part of our story. I've got a great quote here from N.T. Wright. Here's what he says, and he just says it so much more beautifully than I can say. He says this. He says, the message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means that Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a, a new dimension in my spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, then Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming hearts. Isn't that brilliant? That it warms our hearts precisely because it's not just a fairy tale story that's supposed to warm our hearts. He says Easter means that in a world of injustice, violence, and degradation, are, where those things are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that, we, and that we will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement the victory of Jesus over them all. Take away Easter and Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. Take Easter away and Freud was probably right to say Christianity is wish fulfillment. Take Easter away and Nietzsche was probably right to say that it was for wimps. But here we are today, everybody. We're talking about it still. And thank God it's not just Friday and Saturday. Otherwise, Jesus would just be chicken soup for the soul. And that's all he'd be. And it wouldn't transform you. But thank God we've got Sunday. He's alive. He's here. He's with us. He is not dead. Last, the gift of Easter. Um, in fact, as I'm, uh, as I'm talking, band, could you come on up? Because I just kind of like, I'm, we're, we're going to take it in for a landing. But um, I, I've been thinking about this all, all, all up to Easter. And it's been, it's been sort of like making me chuckle as I just think about it and dream. But, you know, what would you do if you were Jesus and you had like resurrection power? You know, what we know about Jesus's body is that he had a physical body, like you could touch him and feel him. And he like even ate some fish sandwiches, you know, like he's just, he's, he's eating with his disciples. But, um, and then, but then also he's like appearing one place, he's disappearing. I mean, it's like, he's got this like resurrection body, which is so, so cool. What would, you, if you were Jesus and you had just like 40 days to, uh, to, to just be, you know, on, on earth longer, what would you do with your 40 days? What would you use that resurrection power for? Think about it. I'll tell you what I would do is I would, I would just go to some of those Roman centurion guards houses that crucified me. That's what I would do. I would think about all the best revenge movies like The Equalizer and John Wick and Taken, you know? And instead of Django, it would be Jesus Unchained, you know? If I was Jesus, I mean, if, and if I would just show up, not to kill him, right? Because I'm Jesus, right? I'm not going to kill him, but I would just freak him out a little bit. I'd be like, bling, remember me? You just killed me. Not anymore, you know? I just, me just mess with him. You know what I would do? I would, I would, I would uh, just travel over to Rome. I would appear in Rome really quick and pay a visit to Caesar, you know? I'd be like, hey, Caesar, you think you're God. Can you rise from the dead? I don't think so, you know? I would have a little conversation with Caesar. That's what I would do. But not in this story. It's not what Jesus does. 
with any of that. You know what Jesus does? Guys, Jesus spends his time pastoring, restoring, and encouraging his friends. That's what Jesus spends his time doing. He's a good leader. He's a humble king. He's a good pastor and friend. He goes to people who are grieving. He goes to Mary and the, and, and, and the rest of the disciples. They're in deep, deep grief. The resurrected Jesus goes to people who are grieving. The resurrected Jesus comes to you today if you're grieving. Jesus comes to people who denied him. He shows up to Peter and says, Peter, listen, I get it, but all is right. It's going to be okay. The resurrected Jesus comes to people who have denied him. Maybe you're here and you feel like that you've been counted out because you've denied him. You feel like you've been left out, but Jesus comes to you today. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus goes to people who are afraid. They're hiding, afraid for their lives. And Jesus comes and he says, it's all gonna be okay. Maybe you're afraid here today. The resurrected Jesus comes to you. Maybe, maybe you're here uh, and you're a skeptic because the resurrected Jesus comes and he appears to Thomas who's a little bit skeptical of, the, uh, skeptical of the whole thing. Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry. Come on, touch me. I'm gonna give you all, I'm gonna answer your questions. I'm gonna give you everything you need. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus comes to people who are distracted and tired, like the disciples who just go back to fishing. They just go back to fishing and they're just tired and just worn out. And Jesus comes to them and breathes new life into them. Maybe you feel distracted and tired today. The resurrected Jesus wants to breathe new life into you. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus comes to the, these two disciples who are on the road to Emmaus. They're walking away from Jerusalem after everything's unfolded. And Jesus comes and he walks alongside of them and has a conversation. Listen, I love, I love that Jesus in his love is walking with people who are walking away. Jesus in his love is walking with people who are walking away. Wow. The resurrected Jesus gives, gives us a glimpse into how he sees us, how he views us, how he views you today. I just wanna end with the, the story that we read. We, we read it, but let's return to it because remember, remember, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus at first. Says, Jesus says, hey, who are you looking for? It's a beautiful, powerful question that I, I want you, I want to ask you today. It's a question that I want just to weigh on you this morning. The question is, is, is who are you looking for? He asks her. Who are you looking for today? See, for some of you, maybe you didn't know that you were supposed to be looking for a who. You thought this whole time that you were supposed to be looking for an it. You thought that, you thought that if you could just get that job, it would, make, it would give you hope. You thought if you could just get that boyfriend or girlfriend, that suddenly then your life would, would be okay. You thought if you could just get that, that husband or wife, that suddenly then everything's gonna be make it. Or you thought if you could just get that promotion, or if you thought you could just get this thing or that thing or an it, then you thought that was gonna give you hope. And you didn't know this whole time that none of those things is gonna do it for you. None of those things is gonna satisfy you or fulfill you or give you a life that's, that, that death can't destroy because see, death can destroy all those other it's. The only thing that death can't destroy is the God who destroyed death itself by rising from the dead. And so the question, who are you looking for? You're looking for a who and his name is Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. And then Jesus says the one word, 
the one word where Mary would know that it was Jesus. Do you know what Jesus says? It's just one word that Jesus says. She doesn't know who he is. And Jesus looks at her and he says, Mary. He says her name. He says her name. God knows your name this morning. There was a group of us this morning that prayed over all of the chairs this morning. We were walking around, touching all the chairs, just praying, God, would you just be with this person? And I didn't know the names of the people who were gonna be sitting in those chairs. But every single one of these chairs was prayed over and we said, God, I don't know this person's name, but you know this person's name. You know exactly who's gonna be sitting right there this morning. You knew that we would be here this morning. You know, you know, you know. He knows your name. He's whispering to you. He's calling out to you. Would you let your assumptions just, would, would you let the, the true Jesus, the true King define who he is for you? Would you come to him? Would you return to him? He's calling out to you.